This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. everybody and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI Podcast. My name is Robert Weber and it's a pleasure to talk to Peter Seberg. Hello, Robert. At close to noon. To noon. I'm a little bit hungry. Let's hurry up oh, a yeah. little bit. hungry <laughs> already. You want to hurry up. Normally you want to no. hurry up because you think my podcasts are too long. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, have a, we have a compact news part, I think, today. But I want to start today. Please do. Please do. Because I have a very, 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 <laughs> very, very interesting news and really? a very interesting approach and a very interesting tool. I recorded an episode today with Applied AI and the topic was the AI Act and Andreas and his team have built a risk classification database. I'm very impressed. One quote, our goal is to develop an open reference library of cases mm -hmm. as a reference for anyone who wants to apply AI in a functional area of the organization. Important, this is no legal advice. We take no responsibility for the correctness of the information provided. So please use it as a reference only. And now you can look up there to see how your use case will be classified in the future. Oh, yeah, 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 right, okay. I was going to ask exactly that, yeah. Oh, that's very good. That's such a difficult topic, right? Because whenever wow. it's yeah. it's so interesting that you're so positive about it because it's such a complex, difficult, and so many people, I'm sure also of our listeners, they do not always have like a positive approach because it's yeah. always like, oh, we Europeans, we Germans, Uh, you know, including myself, Dutch, we here in this part of the world, we always look at regulation, you know, and the Americans and the same for the Chinese, let's say the Asian people, they always do things, you know, they just do it and then we stop and we're slow. And um, so that, that's one side. Now, and then what you hear many times is on the other hand, then you many times hear, but it's very important. Then they say, okay, well, the big companies, you know, they have big organizations and they can take care of it, but the startups, they cannot, you know, because it's way too complex. So that's, that's where this then, I guess, comes in because you say now they can just look at and get a feeling for where they're going to come out. It's still complex because I, I did the recording today and we need to talk about standards in the future and uh -huh. yeah you can hear this in a further episode i think okay. in three or two weeks it. it's very interesting but this database helps us to to have a little bit more details and you can have a, a compass where yeah, you yeah, go yeah, yeah. yeah i was going to ask for that yeah i mean you see, yeah database so you're probably going to go in there and and it's going to take you by the hand kind yeah of. it's had 100 use this? cases you can look up it's a fleet manager or is it about robots or is it about supply chain yeah. or about accounting or research and then you can open a use case then the use case is described and then you can see oh it's low risk high risk or they are not sure what is it and it's very interesting uh, and it's it it helps a lot to understand the mechanic of the AI act yeah 
Very good. I was still waiting for the final AI act, right? But that's probably going to be another couple of months, I guess. But interestingly, that day, and you might want to share with our listeners who actually applied AI, is that they seem to be then probably following closely yep. uh, and then preparing the world, at least Europe, the European, but also the, the global developers who want to put something onto the European market, exactly yeah. the same, right? It's an organization from Munich, mm -hmm. and they were close together with industrial companies, and they promote the topic industrial AI and AI. And sure, they are also a policymaker at the European Union, and now everything is focused on the European Parliament because now the European Parliament needs to, to give their quote on how they want to see this AI Act. And uh, yeah, at the end of the year, we will see maybe the AI Act. Okay, very good. Very good to hear that an organization like them are looking at it. I, I believe a couple of other ones will do that as well. And together, you know, the different organizations will be, you know, helping you, you listeners that are thinking of making sure that whatever you're working on right now is going to be in the end allowed onto the market, certified in those cases where that's going to be necessary. And as far as we know, that is not going to be always the case. I think there's somewhere an area, and who, nobody knows, I guess, if that's going to be like 10 or 20 or 30%, <laughs> somewhere in the middle of all the applications that we know today. And I think most of the people agree that there are certain applications that we should not allow. Now, not everybody agrees, but a, a big majority. And then at the bottom, there's many that are going to be let through. You know, people are going to be free. Maybe there's going to be organizations that are going to put up a sticker, you know, whatever, uh, agreed upon approved AI or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but in the middle, of course, there's the disagreement because certain people will say, oh, no, I want my machine to be doing this and the machine is doing nothing bad. And other people will say, okay, but this algorithm is potentially doing something bad to humans. And, and that's the other thing, right? And then maybe we want to stop because we in our industrial AI environment, of course, if our podcast would be about consumer AI, yes. then, you know, we would have um, a lot more difficult. So if those kind of podcasts, uh, blogs, whatever exist, I'm sure that the people taking care in that world or those listeners of you that actually do work in that area, and maybe you are in charge of production and your colleagues, you know, sell products in the end to consumers, for them, of course, you know, applying AI in a B2C business-to-consumer sense is a lot more complex yep. than typically Absolutely. normally it is for us. In most cases, not always, but most cases where machines mm -hmm. get um, uh, applied AI. Absolutely. I have one sad news uh, from your former Intel boss. Moore's law is still alive, but Mr. Moore died, I think, last week, right? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, it was on the radio. Yeah, I was impressed. As as it was a it was a message close to my soul. It was very interesting. And many times I don't listen radio, not when the negative things that we have too many of these days all around us. I many times ask my Alexa to just cut off, and and it was on on the news. So that says a lot. Yeah, I don't think we need to talk about. And you re slow. you received a prize from him, right? 
uh, from him and at that time the two yeah. other guys yeah so it was the ceo at that time um, andy grove i think yes. craig barrett and uh, gordon moore yeah right yeah and i've have uh, wonderful wonderful stories to tell around mr moore he was uh, he was there when i was visiting r&b robert noise building in silicon valley silicon okay. valley you know that is equal to uh, kind of robert noise robert noise was kind of the co-inventor of the transistor he didn't make a law. He had um, he looked into the future and he said, you know, what I see from the last couple of years, we're doubling the number of transistors per square and whatever, uh, inch, whatever it is. And in the end, that came to be true looking back, not every year, but more like doubling every second year. And then we, I don't know, somebody in a in the magazine somewhere called it and the first time a Moore's Law, which I've mm-hmm. now heard he, that was, he was very embarrassed about for, for most of his life. But I think it was, it's kind of the most important law that we've had mm-hmm. in our um, modern world that's really be driven forward by technology. Do you think that Moore's Law is still alive? Well, there has been nothing as constant as people saying that Moore's Law is that Mm -hmm. for at least for the 25 years since I've been working and the first 10 years of that with Intel. Maybe if you if you take it very precisely, mm-hmm. at that time we were we were looking. I, I'm not a specialist at the detail level, but let's say we were talking 2D a silicon substrate. At that level, maybe already a couple of years ago, you know, we're, we're getting close as what couple of nanometers. Mm. Maybe if you make that even smaller, then you're gonna have a electric cross, or you you know the atoms are gonna be too short together. But then they introduce 3D, they introduce whatever kind. Of thing. So from the perspective of, and that was the most important thing, the element that you always need to add to it is to say we're doubling the number of transistors, which means the, the, the performance of a chip at the same price. That was always the point. And that was the reason why every you know, 18 months or two years, there will be a new iPhone. There will be a new version of a notebook. There will be a new whatever. You know, the complete world has been driven for the last 25 years by this lawyer. And that is, and I believe, as far as I see at a very high level, that will continue to be like that, you know, until, you know, whatever. Yeah, things happen around the world all the time. But I believe that part of the law, you know, you can, you know, we talked about... Um, Anthony Dickmans. Mr. Dickmans, right. And he said and that was 70, was it in the 70, 1980? And because he realized at that time that he would have about 25 years and in 25 years later, the processor will be like, you know, one million times more faster, right? And I would say, yes, we can think, and when we talk now further, If we think another 25 years into the future, then we know that silicon is chips are you know a million or a billion times faster, and it's amazing. You cannot imagine what we can do at that time. That's interesting because we are now talking about quantum quantum computing. Yeah, the new possibilities with quantum. And I talked to to Rainer Sträter from Jonas, and he said we are surprised like that that quantum are there like we were surprised that chat gpt or gpt is coming on the edge so everybody will be surprised when it's there then but it's already there in the background but everybody will be surprised when it's everybody can see oh there is something 
that's that's interesting. I think, yeah. Yeah, right. As you know, I've been looking into you because that's a that's yeah, you, and of course you don't a, want to do that anymore. <laughs> no, 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 that's a complete new yeah, uh, way of looking at computing. So, I mean, and and from that point of on, there's going to be a new law, I guess. Yeah. You know, somebody's going to bring in some kind of new law, which is then a structural deviation from from more, I guess. Yeah. What's your news? I still have a couple of things to say, if I may, as well. Do we still have time? Yeah, well, we have time. We have time. <laughs> I, I think we I was so <laughs> impressed by this database. Uh, you can find the link in the show notes, by the way. Uh, so you can go on. <laughs> Good. Software eats the world. We've talked about it. AI eats software. We talked about all of this. You know, the famous quote from Mark Andreessen, The younger listeners of you will not have heard of him. We're talking 2011 here and many, many years before, probably the, the 1980s, I guess. He was the famous Netscape that was a browser yes. uh, developer originated. So the younger people, whatever you do with your Edge, uh, Firefox, uh, Chrome browser, that's what he kind of uh, introduced. That's his famous quote. And when he did it, he really talked about, I believe there was a relationship to, as an example, at that time, Amazon. He said, you know, now they made, they had to have a Kindle and they have now put books into B software as well. So we, I think we all understand that basically. Now, it's only a couple of months ago, and you recall that there was, I'm not sure what specifically it was, if it was the Microsoft what's it called, the Colab or the, on the GitHub, where the tools that help programmers, you know, to be more productive in their world. Mm -hmm. And it's a couple of months ago where I said, okay, now it's, now it's them, now it's us, you know, I'm part and you are, uh, we are from two different perspectives, part of this world who has been, you know, programming modern, we just talked about Mr. Moore, the last 50 years on processors. And I said, you know, now it's our term. You know, I've always said for many, many, many years, AI is changing all the jobs. So we, we, we in this business, we should not think that it's going to stop in front of our door. Yeah. You know, and you recall the shitstorm that happened at that time. And, and we're only three months later. Yeah. And in these days, it's amazing. I mean, when, when I wake up every morning, I look on it. Oh, yeah. And there's new things. So I say this is the time to eat our own dog food and software programming i'm really convinced will never be the same again and i have something to add i will do an interview on friday with gabriel krummenacher from zürich engineering about gpt chat gpt and industrial use cases i think that's really interesting because a lot of listeners wrote us we need to do an episode on this topic and so gabriel will explain us some use cases Yeah, and all those topics intertwine, they interlink, of course. And, you know, the listeners that we have now, please don't take this personal. I've always said this. And, you know, nobody knows. So some jobs are going to go away completely. Certain people make this, you know, this this graph that says, like, you know, the cost of programming in five years is going to go down to zero. What that means, cost zero means, you know, that nobody is doing it. Or a chat GPT, exactly, there you go, is doing it. So, of course, 
us, we need to be very careful. And I did an interview yesterday as well. You'll hear that mm-hmm. next week, I guess. And we, of course, we need to continue to sign with two feet on the ground. But a thing that we'll talk about today is, of course, that we're going to have the large language models, um, you know, allowing plugins, mm-hmm. you know, and that combination of the large language models. And again, you, of course, I need to, I need to say, and I hear already again the people say, "Oh, that's bullshit, and that cannot happen." Always want to say, and I always have been saying, and it may change that. As far as I'm concerned, I believe the large language models they have a you know a structural flaw, which is this stochastic parrot design flaw, right? Mm-hmm. So in a very orientative way, they say the most stupid things. Not always. They can say good things as well. Nevertheless, they are already very, very, very capable increasing human productivity. And by the way, with plugins, they may be kind of working on this structure flow as well. But we come to that later. And then you see a LinkedIn course in German. It's almost the other way around. I was looking for the English version because, you know, we, we started communicating here in English and I do that on LinkedIn as well. I didn't see it. So that was very interesting called AI supported software programming with mm-hmm. open AI and chat GPT. That's just one example. Now, and then look at Microsoft, what they've been doing. I mean, there's so many topics to this here, right? So Microsoft, owner of the number one open source, GitHub number one investor in open AI, owner of still, I'm sure, the world's number one set of office productivity applications, yep. right? Then they have this co-pilot, sorry, I, I yep. used the wrong word before, yep. co-pilot is called, which they now call your AI pair programmer. Yep. It's amazing. And then as you and I, we, we communicate a lot. You, you are on Twitter. I'm exclusively on, on LinkedIn. And by the way, this is not about supporting Microsoft whatsoever. You know, what can I say? I'm just saying what comes to my brain here. And, and they have almost access to almost a billion users. Now, that sounds almost like very nicely orchestrated. If it was orchestrated like that in the last couple of years, right? And I have one more quote from one of our listeners from Linz, and he told me that he is convinced industrial companies will use the available large language models like Llama or Meteor mm. or Alpaca and fine-tune these models on their own data and run POCs. And a lot will fail, but some will make it and they will will find a way a pathway through and they will have an awesome industrial product so i um, strongly agree yeah. i think we we are focusing too much on open ai's language models because this is not open you can't you cannot look into but you can use llama or alpaca and uh, i think industrial companies will do that with their own data sure sure, sure. sure it's it's just it and yeah. then i do want to spend a little bit of time on the plugins because yeah. that's really going to change the world i'm sure of course it's always about and frustration on one hand if the big and they typically have been the big silicon valley companies with their huge and i have been part of it you know marketing uh, departments like today uh, google and of course microsoft and open ai and of course there's many 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 others and that's perfectly okay you know 
the one that has been driving it has been OpenAI. That's that was another topic, right? Where they've been saying, how can it be like the one that is in my room here? Mm-hmm. You no, know, Alexa. What was the Microsoft one? They stopped with it, and then there's Siri. Now looking at plugins, you know, there's a there's a quote here from a person that says like. Uh, what it is, I think the person said, series reply suck. This is quote unquote. I'm not saying this. You never get the answer you need. Here is how to upgrade it with ChatGPT. It's yeah. a plugin. Yeah. So, but before we go in, one final thought. As I said, so many things about this company, Microsoft, and this one, and they seem to be doing everything right today. Although many people also will disagree as far as the introduction of ChatGPT goes. And I am, was, uh, they seem to be, and we come to it in a moment, doing, correcting uh, certain parts of it. I have many friends in the business. And some of them are really scared, you know, scared mm-hmm. of losing their job. So I do want to just call out that this is a serious thing. But at the same time, what should I say? Uh, what should I say? Maybe I also would have believed that many of these friends of mine, whenever they started in these big companies, big software companies, you would have thought, they have the right thing, the right job. They're going to be fine for the rest of their lives kind of thing. But the change that is almost like suddenly overnight coming, that's uh, unbelievable. And I want to say I'm so convinced that there is going to be so many new jobs. So for all of you there now listening and you are involved in exactly this situation. Now, stay positive, look out, look out what are the new things, and and maybe in the the last thing that we discussed today, you will find your new way of doing things, and it it will be probably different from um, programming at a different level, you know, not at the level that you have been doing so far. And I want to add something, because you mentioned these uh, applications from Microsoft, but Then there was this news last week that OpenAI is investing in in robotics and they invested in a in a startup uh, in a robot startup Humanoid uh, Android robot mm, from right. Norway and that's really interesting because they are not interested in plugins and apps and stuff they are also interested in heavy industrial AI robotics applications so that's really interesting and that's You mentioned, I think, last episode you talked about Google and the Technical University of Berlin right, yeah, yeah, about yeah, their yeah, robotics yeah, tool. Yeah, and yeah. now OpenAI is also going in this direction. Google is doing it with Intrinsic. and uh, So they are coming, they are coming, they are coming. Yeah, uh, I agree. And the, the listing up of all the things that Microsoft has is just one example. And they seem to be doing many things, right? And of course, we should not forget all the other ones. And of course, you and I want to be careful that we the next time we concentrate again on maybe other solutions. I do want to spend two minutes on the plugins because as soon as I saw that, and that's only three days ago, and again, You know, the world caught by surprise. Now, of course, um, you know, hundreds or thousands of persons around the world must have been knowing this because they must have been working on this for, I think the Wolfram guy said uh, that maybe he's been working, his company has been, of course, on the NDA, I guess, working for about two months and within two months is now available. So basically, whereas in the past, the structural implicit design flaws, stochastic parrot, because the data is from the internet. 
you know, good positive things from Robert and Peter and billions of other things and very bad, negative, very, really bad stuff included, right? And we can't really get out of that. And it is a stochastic parrot, but nevertheless, we know and we see with hundreds of applications that people, not only the software programmers, double their productivity, right? So that is already very good. And now the point is, if you're going to, you recall my first time that I used ChatGPT, was it two months ago? I asked for the weather in Munich and that was completely wrong because Mm -hmm. I didn't know that it was incapable. You know, it had, had been cut off, what, 2021 or 22. So now it allows you... And the, the point at which that happens, I'm not sure. It allows you the plugin to say, okay, this person is asking for something happening somewhere. What is it asking for? Mathematics, weather, you know, millions of applications. Then, then the chat GPT at a high level goes into the plugin and the plugin will give the correct answer. Let's yes. assume the correct answer, whatever it is, Expedia, flights, where are they? Uh, what is one plus one is really two? And then gives the answer back. And then what, you, what you're then going to get is a chat GPT that is continues to be very uh, authoritative, very high quality language. I believe we all agree to that. And then you're going to have correct answers. That's huge. That's, I believe, what is happening. Yeah, that's huge. And I don't know. I don't know why the uh, I I could not have done it better. I but I have been very little impressed with the fact that they allowed the chat chippity side of you know asking of giving answers to questions which they knew were going to be bullshit. Uh, many why they allowed it, I'm not sure yeah. because already at that time they were you're <laughs> working on the plugins. Ob- yeah. Obviously, I'm not sure why they didn't wait for that because then from a hundred questions, you know, we may soon assume that 99 are going to be correct. You know, rather than half of them are going to be complete bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge impact I think on the on the topic. Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. I mean, for many of you listeners who were thinking doing something yourself in in generative kind of on a a generative level, you know, maybe you should consider working with one of those base generative solutions and be more of a, you know, domain expert in your domain, provide a solution, which is then going to be sitting on top of uh, of a chat GPT slash plugin maybe you are you know one of the plugin providers right or maybe you're going to have a solution that sits on a higher level Um, but it's opening up the world and oh it must be so i mean i'm not that's that's not my job we're just about chatting and i hope that um, people some of you listeners will will hear something new some of you will have heard about it will have um, different ideas let robert or myself uh, know what you think but we will not only talk about generative AI in this podcast. We have Nate. some more great <laughs> use cases, our our agenda. So we talk about with class, with a agriculture company, and we talk with with Coming Brown, up. some medical stuff. So uh, do not worry. We will also talk about in quotation marks normal AI use cases. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Whenever we talk hype, I mean, and uh, Gartner is is the company with the famous yeah. uh, hype cycle, but independent of the hype cycle, even hype is always a 
uh, has a negative, only hype. And that's yep. what people many times mean when they say, oh, that's only hype. They mean the negative thing. But the hype is a positive thing as well. And uh, yeah, I agree. We've been talking now about ChatGPT, generative, and I'm sure we will continue. Sure. But you're right. And I think all of us need to put it in the right perspective. But all of you listeners, you have potential customers, internal, external, and they're asking you, They're asking you, okay, um, next time, next week, when you come, I want to see a solution with ChatGPT, maybe. And then you can tell them, sure, we'll we'll try something, we'll show you something, maybe we demo you something. It's not that we could not talk about it, right? And we all need to put it in perspective and see um, how it's helping us today, or if not today, uh, maybe tomorrow. Peter, that's it. Let's switch to our main part. We talk about security, cybersecurity, and AI models, machine learning models. We, we recorded this episode as Festo's I.O. conference. It was a pleasure to talk to you, Peter. Hear you next time. I'm in holidays in the next week, so okay. you have to manage the next episode by your own. Oh, I'll do my very best. Enjoy your lunch. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mirko, Mirko Ross I have with me. We're here at the Festo I.O. Uh, Mirko, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, thanks, Peter, for inviting. My name is Mick Ross. I'm CEO of Ashwin. We're a cybersecurity company located in Stuttgart, Germany. And we take care in our labs, for example, on cybersecurity for AI systems. Very good. Today we're talking about trustworthy AI. What it is that you have to bring to the party regarding trustworthy AI? Well, look, AI has... Uh, I mean, we have really an increasing topic with ChatGPT and, and other systems in the, in the progress. I think everybody now is talking about AI. But the big question as well, people are getting experience on, well, what kind of input I'm giving to AI system and what will be the output? Can I really trust the output? And this is not an easy question because AI is like a black box. It's not so easy to look inside the box what's going on. So trust is a big topic. And for AI system, it means, can I trust the data which the AI system has been trained, for example? Or can I trust the data which you're giving as input to AI systems? Very good. We'll talk about uh, ChatGPT at the very end. Not sure that ChatGPT is such a good example of a trustworthy application. But as I say, we'll do that uh, at the end. Uh, you've been doing a presentation here and um, we were listening in and you talked about data poisoning. That sounds already very dangerous. Can you explain what data poisoning is all about? Well, in general, the world is dangerous from a cybersecurity yes. perspective. <laughs> so, of course, a cybersecurity people and we are very close to hacking attitudes um, AI is a big opportunity because it's a big playground you can do a lot of AI systems to force them in a direction we want not which has been intended by the people who are building the AI so giving you an example um, I've shown that for autonomous driving for example if there is a, a visual system to detect road signs and what's going on in the road We can manipulate uh, the road signs uh, so that this is not a stop sign, but maybe a pedestrian or a flower or whatever for the AI system. So this will lead in a completely different behavior of the car. Maybe that's that's the dangerous topic. It's in a very good example. Yeah. I think um, those of the listeners who have heard about 
this very topic they will maybe already understand but let, let's stay here because uh, is that always going to be the case let's let's stay with the example of the sub sign and i'm a bad person let's call it bad person maybe you have a better word and i'm going to put something onto this sign or a couple of things and i know that my machine learning model in the cars be a tesla any other car is not going to recognize and you can talk to that or the question also i just want to make you know um, uh, market my whatever you know tonight there's going to be some band playing in town i put a sticker somewhere is that on principle having the same problem or is that going to depend yeah well first of all it's a little bit also a question about resilience how resilient are our models towards the data we are injecting them to analyze um For the examples we have given you, these are really very focused attack patterns. So we are really building an attack pattern. So usually with a normal sticker, it should not work. <laughs> But if we stick on our special prepared sticker, the AI system will do what we want. Right. Special prepared sticker. Let's not go into too much detail, but still, I I would like to, and I'm sure that our listeners maybe would like to understand then how that difference is. I mean, we, I mean, we humans, we wouldn't see the difference between a sticker with whatever, a couple of lines, or and maybe you can, you will talk about that later. Maybe today, even you don't see the sticker because it's maybe transparent and we don't see it at all. And a sticker of, you know, band playing in town tonight. We as humans, we say, okay, two stickers, what's the difference? So I'm sure that on a different level, there is something else going on. Yeah, and maybe that's the big misunderstanding of AI because we always take our human ways how we recognize things and, and analyze things as the baseline topic. So, of course, if I give you a stop sign with, with a sticker, you would say, well, it's still a stop sign. But AI is working differently. AI is a mathematical model. So it makes a difference the sticker from a mathematical perspective there are other values on it let's say it in that way so what we are injecting is a picture which is really different from the mathematical topics there are different values in there and by that the model will behave in a certain manner which is different than it has been intended exactly so what to do you know if if then i am interested let's stick to the example of the autonomous driving or maybe in the environment of where we are here you know automation predictive maintenance is the typical thing we always talk about you can choose either way you know if it's at the end of the line uh, quality control which means if we have the same problem there and I'm for whatever reason I'm going to get inside of that uh, factory um, and I know that for a certain time this company will be approving you know quality products that are not uh, okay they they move on or not and then maybe a month later they come to the customer so uh, you know that's that's the scenario I don't want to go into so what is it that I can do in in general how can I if I know that this problem exists what should I be doing i mean however if we look into the ai world and now ai is getting more visible and more as well applied to products what we need to learn is 
how to make AI more resilient, how to protect our AI systems from being attacked. However, most companies are very happy that they have an AI model already applied and maybe working. Uh, they don't think too much about are there any malicious actors out there who want to manipulate it. And now comes the point from our perspective, as let's say hackers or cybersecurity experts, we see this as a big opportunity from an attacker perspective because it's easy to manipulate if you don't protect it. And the impacts are as well very, uh, maybe very, very big. Let's take um, an AI-driven robotic line. I mean, this is a safety issue. If two robots are crashing into humans, it's it's not only a physical damage, it's maybe a question of life. Uh, but even if two robots are crashing, it's a very heavy damage for, for many shop floors. So you can create a lot of damages if you are attacking such systems. And by that, it's an opportunity for attackers. Whatever the motivation will be, uh, the motivation can be just simple sabotage, with say state actors, for example, or it could be as well ransom. Now, is it fair to look at different levels of potential for, let's stick with the word hacker, I said bad person, can be still a good person maybe, but still he or she is a hacker. One example is to stay with these two. Autonomous drivers is like on the public area, so everybody can, if they you know have a, have a bad thought, can go out and put out stickers, and they probably will learn in the internet how to, what kind of sticker it should be. So that is a an open area. Is that a complete different potential level to say of uh, comparing it to um, a factory, a factory where you know we can typically assume there is at least a certain level of security. We hope also up until the level of data but that's that's part of your job so are there different kind of areas where you say it's a lot more easy for hackers to get in than other ones or does a hacker almost always come in unless they have you as a service provider i mean it's always a question of opportunities so if you don't take security too serious there will be an opportunity in there ai is increasing the attack surface that's because it's an additional system you're introducing to your environment so you are increasing the attack surface and now the big question is always about motivation what could be motivating people to compromise a system of course there are people like us who have a natural interest in let's say uh, deassembling technology and find out where are the weak spots but we are the good fellows in the hacking mm -hmm. space and as well I like more to tell about attackers, what are the malicious attackers, and have a look. The world has changed very, even with the global conflicts we, is, we, we are just seeing now. So sabotage is a very valid uh, attack vector, mm -hmm. and as well ransom. I mean, um, what if I can tear down your production by manipulating AI systems and put a production on hold? Uh, This is a lot of pressure you can put on companies and then to get uh, your efforts by, for example, ransom attacks. Very good. Now, I heard you say that preventing an attack is as easy as initiating it. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Yeah. So yeah, if yeah. that is so, what to do? What are, what are the number one, two, three steps for you know, people in charge of maybe let's stay with a, a manufacturing environment, you know, um, a factory manager, what is what what is it they, they need to do? 
Uh, maybe for the factory manager, it's the hardest job because he has to trust every, every software part on his machines. And this is already a problem. So to be honest, for this guy, I have no good advice. However, everybody who is dealing with AI, building AI systems, uh, introducing them to the shop floors, training the models and so on, there are some very simple advices. First of all, don't trust data. Even if you have yeah, sourced the data by yourself, don't trust it because it could be manipulated uh, through the data supply chain, so from the device to the training of the model. This is one good advice. If you use data, try to, let's say, deactivate any data poisoning attacks. And there are some methods and tools out there you can use, and then you just simply depoison poisoned uh, data. And this is the first, I think, the first rule. And then there's, of course, a lot you can do from traditional cybersecurity to secure your systems. So how, do, how does it typically work? I mean, not trusting data, that's a relatively easy thing to do after having listened to you, maybe listeners listening to our talk to say, okay, okay, I'm not going to trust data anymore. Uh, that's easy. But what does that mean, the next step then? I mean, it's not so going, easy. Oh, it's not that easy. Okay, I have there to you disagree go. because if, okay. if you take your own attitude, I mean, for example, you are the company who has a sensor in a machine and you know the sensor is delivering data and you use this data for an AI model for, let's say, predictive maintenance or whatever, or to optimize the way how your robotic line will work. Uh, I would assume that a lot of engineers are trusting this data because they have built in the sensor, they have an understanding of what kind of sensor, uh, where the data flows and so on. It's hard to believe that someone can manipulate the sensor, and even from distance. We know that it's like uh, some people say, well, but it's inside a factory or it's inside a factory line. How can I manipulate it? I mean, we have seen people manipulating sensors with simple laser pointers over long distance. Um, and by that, injecting as well malicious data to certain sensors. So... Don't think in the cybersecurity world that the creativity of people is limited. It's your imagination as an engineer who is limited. That's interesting. I will get back to our um, back on track, but I'm a, a hobby chess player. And that's actually, I'm not sure if you heard, but since a couple of months, there was a, a big um, discussion going on about and it's the direction of what is what you're pointing at here because it's an over-the-board face-to-face game we've been talking about and there's insinuations and it's a big thing and nobody knows the details because if this person has been cheating and it goes the same direction of having done something like as a hacker they don't know how he um, has done it but uh, so, uh, getting back to the top level, maybe, what we are talking about, and we, you concentrate on data, I understand, maybe there's other things, which is one element, and it's already at a deeper level, so to say, in the end, at least what the European Commission is the AI Act they're working on, it's, it's all about from, I believe, the first sentence, it's about the reason we're doing this, it's about providing trustworthy AI to at least to the 500 million Europeans because that is in the end now of course and, and let's we're not talking now about the consumer we let's stay with with our area and I am one of the people who say well how can 
even if we're talking about a closed environment of a manufacturing line, how can people do something? You gave us some ideas. Then, So what are the elements? Yes, I'm talking a production line with 100 different sensors, and I'm talking of the data that they are producing. What do I need to do? Do I need to do it every day? Do I need to – when am I checking? Is there just one – and I, I, I'm sure that – people interested can learn you know 100 more things that they can then contact you at the end of the uh, of the podcast but what what is one example of what specifically does it mean not trusting my stream of data do i need to apply additional algorithms so i can be sure that my data is actually the data that the sensors are providing me yeah giving you an example like what was the year 2000 attitude of people programming web pages and web forms usually if you then have filled a form on on the web and putting your entry in there like your name and whatever usually the coders were assuming that people are putting their name in there but some people were putting in their sql commands to right. erase the database or inject malicious code so it was it was out of the imagination of the people who were building this first generation of websites and We have the exactly same situation currently at AI. So it's out of the general imagination that someone will inject something, let's say, malicious towards it. Now, what is the solution? For the web forms, we have learned to uh, a treatment of the form data before you process it. It's, and the treatment is the, you know, deactivation of any, any strings which have malicious Could and be malicious. And code. that's standard. You and say, that's standard. These days. Today it's standard. Now, now it's 23 exactly. years Someone later. not doing that is very careless. And right. I think that's not state of the art anymore. And for AI, you can do the same. So if you take, for example, a data set, let's take this visual data set, you can do a special treatment on this. And by this treatment, you can depoison the malicious part of the data. And um, this should be a standard procedure. There are algorithms out there doing that for different kind of AI models and their training data. Just apply it. And if you don't know how to apply it, for example, ask me and my team. We, we Very know good. <laughs> I'm sure that people will do that. Uh, now, am I going to need to apply that for both during training of my model as well as when the model has been deployed um, at inference time? Yeah, exactly. You have to do it on both sides. Mm -hmm. Deactivate it before, you know, depoison it before training, but as well do a depoisoning on any data which is then used to give it to an AI to analyze it. Right. So you made this comparison to the year 2000 web environment. And so it took us, did it take us 20 years? I don't know, until we've come to a certain level of, you know, everybody at least in charge of their specific environment knows and they know what to do. Are we going to Are we going to need uh, 20 years um, to get there as well, you believe? Or? Oh, well, I believe in humans and that the learning experience will be much faster than in the year 2000. But however, maybe we can apply artificial intelligence to speed it up or... Uh, well, I don't know if it's a good solution to fix a problem with something which has already a problem. <laughs> Okay, I guess in the end, I don't know, there's there's always going to be, you call them macros, I call them bad guys. Um, um, so are the, are the good guys going to win? Are the bad guys going to win? Are we going to continue always the same game and both parties are always going to be using additional technology, additional knowledge, but, but nevertheless, you know, who is applying AI machine learning in whatever, in this case, industrial environment, they need to make sure that they do it in a way that they cannot be hacked. 
Yes, I mean, that's the the world we are living in. So if there are opportunities, they will be used from good actors and as well from bad actors. That's And if we build more on defense tools, there will be other people who have a look, and this is as well very good, how to work around these defense tools. Because this is important. If you want to improve security, we need, of course, people who are as well checking the weak points of all elements we are introducing. However, there will be the bad actors always using that for their own motivation and their own motivation is maybe more money or political on, on the sabotage issues. However, it's the world we are in. In this case, the world is very hostile and um, yeah, we should prepare for that. Mirkor, thank you very much. We'll talk again in 20 years and see how far we've come by that time. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Yeah, thanks for inviting me.